Hello and welcome back to Neely's Bend Baptist Church's Sermon Archive. I'm Pastor Austin. In this week's sermon, we learn about how a church needs to be all about Jesus. So from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-17, through 17, we see four different ways that a church can be all about Jesus. And as a reflection of that, the people also should be all about Jesus in those ways as well. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email us at mbbc at neelysbenbaptist.org. Thanks, and we hope you have a blessed week. And one of the favorite parts of that song that I really enjoyed is we will see Jesus. Jesus, that's the point. That's the point of it all. That's the whole point of the church, is it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. And that kind of leads us into our sermon today. It's all about Christ. As we've been going through this series of, of through, first, the, through the book of 1 Timothy and biblical church characteristics, um, today we're going to see is that we need to be a church that's all about Christ. A church that's all about Christ. All about Him. So before we get there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise You so, so much this morning, Lord. We praise You for being the reason that we were able to go into heaven and then see You there, Lord. We praise You for that. For giving us salvation. Extending mercy to us, Lord. Lord, I just pray that today as we jump into 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-17, through 17, that we are able to see that we should be all about You. Everything we do here, all about You. Lord, I pray that I'm just a vessel for Your kingdom this morning, Lord. A mouthpiece for You, Lord. Lord, help me to preach with simplicity, with clarity, and passion, Lord. And may it all be about You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who are we all about? Who are we all about as a church? Who is our focus? Who do we worship and praise? Who do we honor and glorify? Who are we all about? As an Alabama football fan, there is one person that the whole Alabama fan base is all about. And you may be thinking of maybe some past quarterbacks, or maybe some past running backs, or wide receivers. We've had a lot of good football players in the past 16 years. And while Alabama has had their fair share of really good athletes there, none of those players have been a constant. They come and they go. They stay for a couple years and then they move on. But there's one person that has been a constant for the last 16 years. His name is Nick Saban. He's there. And as an Alabama football fan, everyone in this fan base is all about Nick Saban. They love Nick Saban. They Pray for Nick Saban. Like, seriously, if he gets sick, the whole fan base is praying for him. And in some ways, they almost worship Nick Saban. It's crazy. 
I'm not saying that I'm one of those people. I'm a fan of Alabama, but I'm not that big of a fan, if that makes sense. But because Nick Saban is always a constant with the football team, he hasn't left, and it doesn't look like he's going to be leaving anytime soon. Sorry to you Vanderbilt fans, Tennessee Vol fans, and some Kentucky fans. Uh, you know, sorry about that, but... Regardless, the point is the fans love Nick Saban. They're all about him. And there are many other college football programs around this nation that the fans are all about the head football coach or the head basketball coach or the head coach of any other sort of thing. As a church, we must be all about Christ. We must be all about Christ. This is my purpose in preaching today from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, is that we as a people, as a people of God, as a church, will be all about Christ. Everything we do here at this church must be done for Him and Him alone to honor and glorify Him. Our worship, our praise must be about Him. Our teaching, our preaching must be about Him. Our outreach events, anything that we do fellowship-wise, should it be all about Christ. Christ is the focus of everything we should do. He has to be, or else we will lose our first love, just like the Ephesian church did in Revelation. So I ask you, is this church all about Christ? In the past, has this church all been about Christ? Is everything we're doing now and going to do in the future going to be about Christ? You can bet it is. Because that's what we're called to do. It's called to be all about Him because we can't lose sight of Christ and why He came. Because when we are all about Christ, He is the one that leads us. He is the one that guides us. When we're all about Christ, He is the reason we feel confident in having outreach events and sharing the gospel with those in our community and those around us. When we are all about Christ, we will worship and praise our God for sending Jesus to us. When we are all about Christ, we will become an outward-focused church. When we are all about Christ, we will continue to become a biblically healthy church. And that's what we're called to be. And we will be unlike the church of Ephesus that had certain teachers that were teaching of a different doctrine. If you remember from two sermons ago in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, there were certain people that were teaching of a different doctrine. And the reason that they were teaching of a different doctrine is more than likely because they didn't have Christ. Christ wasn't the focus. They was not all about Christ. And so they were teaching a different doctrine, which is why Paul corrected their teaching and explained what the purpose of the law was, as we saw last week. If you remember, or if you don't remember, in verse 8, we saw that the law is good for the lawful. In verse 9, we saw that the law is not for the just. And in verse 9, 10, and 11, we saw that the law is for the lawless. And so now in our passage... Today, we're going to see how Paul differs from those certain people that were teaching of a different doctrine. 
Paul gives us a brief testimony and how it was Christ that did everything for him. And when it is Christ that changes our lives, it will be Christ that, will be, that we will be all about. So in our sermon today, we will see four ways we can be all about Christ. Four ways we can be all about Christ. And ultimately, when we live this out, we will be all about Christ. But first, let's read our passage together. As we, as we are reading, there's something I want you to do. I want you to kind of count along with me the times that Christ is referred to. The times that Christ is referred to. So here we go. We're going to begin in verse 12. It says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? Because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Verse 13, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. In verse 14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy, verse 15, we get over there. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, verse 7, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him. We're at 10, now we're going to 11 here. 11 for eternal life. In verse 17, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 11 different times Christ is referred to in this passage. 11 times. I would say that Christ is the focus of this passage, wouldn't you? He is the focus of it all. So let's begin. What is the first way that we can be all about Christ? The first way that we can be all about Christ is by giving thanks to Him. We give thanks to Christ. If you look at verse 12 here, there we go. It says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. And verse 13 says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a, par- a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Within these two verses, we see three different things that we are to be thankful for. Three different things to be thankful for. The first thing that we should be thankful for is when Christ strengthens us. Christ strengthens us. If you go back to verse 12 here, in order for us to truly understand this, and understand what it means for Paul to say, I thank Him who has given me strength, we need to understand Paul's life. If you look back in Paul's life and you see that he was imprisoned multiple times, that he was, had been stoned, 
that he had been beaten, that he had been shipwrecked. Paul was a very persecuted man. And in all these circumstances, Christ was his strength. It wasn't by his will or by his power, but only by Christ's power and will, Christ's strength, that he was able to endure these times. Some of you may remember Philippians 4.13 and how it says, and Paul writes this, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Interesting enough, when Paul wrote this, guess where Paul was? He was in prison. He was in prison. And he is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Meaning that I can be content in all circumstances because Christ is my strength. Despite his circumstances, Christ was still his strength. I think so oftentimes we forget that Christ is to be our strength in all of our circumstances. We forget that he is the one that should be our focus and we should look to for strength in trying and difficult times, even in the good times. When we are feeling weary, when we are feeling down, we are not content with our situation that we're in, with our circumstances with the life that we're living or going on around us, we must look to Christ for strength. Because it is only by Him that we can be strong enough to endure those difficult times because He is our hope. We can look to Him. And ultimately, the only reason that we're able to look to Him for strength is because He has judged us faithful, as He says in verse 12 there. He judged me faithful. This leads us to the second thing that we are able to be thankful for. And that is his, the faithfulness of Christ. That He has judged us faithful. To be judged faithful is to be saved, to be a believer in Him. Paul understood that it wasn't by himself or anything he did or any other thing that someone else did for him. It was only by Christ and Christ alone that He was saved. And ultimately, it's because we are saved and judged faithful that we have strength in Christ. You cannot have strength in Christ if you are not a believer. Therefore, as believers who have Christ in them, we should be incredibly thankful for Christ and His salvation. We should be thanking Him every day we wake up. Every morning we wake up. Remember the Gospel. Be thankful for Christ and His salvation. Because Christ gave His life for you so that you could have life in Him. When we are thankful to Christ for salvation, it reminds us constantly that we couldn't save ourselves. And it forces us to humbly know and remember that it was in Christ alone that we are saved. Let us always be found living in a thankful state for the salvation we have in Christ. The third thing that we must be thankful for here is that we are appointed to His service. If you look at the end of verse 12 here, it says, appointing me to His service. Appointing me to His service. And if you go on to verse 13, and it says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Or opponent. I guess that's the correct way to say it. But if you really look at the insolent opponent, the 
the word there, it really just means a violent aggressor. A violent aggressor. Many of you, I would hope or assume, that you have heard the story of Paul's conversion. How Paul is on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. And Jesus there meets him on the road to Damascus, blinds him, and changes his heart. And would call Paul to his service. Paul was thankful that he was able to serve Christ. Paul was thankful for being appointed to his service. And what made him even more thankful? It was because of his past. Paul realized what he was. And now he realized that he was serving the king. Paul had a bunch of baggage. But even though Paul had the baggage of being a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man or an insolent opponent, a violent aggressor, Christ still appointed him to serve. And this is something we too should all be thankful for. Christ, despite our sin, despite our baggage, still saved us and has appointed every single believer here to His service. We are appointed to serve the King. We get to serve the King. Christ is the King. And we should be thankful for being able to serve Him. When was the last time you thanked Christ for being able to serve Him? For being appointed to His service. When we are continually giving thanks to Christ for the gifts that He has given us, for being appointed to His service, it helps us to be all about Him. All about Him. Because we can so easily lose focus of Christ and think that I'm using the gift that the Lord has given me for the church, for example. Or for people around me. Or even for myself. And that is not what we are to serve. We are to serve Christ. We are to serve Him and Him alone. But when we serve Christ, we serve the church. Serving the church by serving Christ. It's because of Christ that we have these gifts. Thanking Christ for being appointed to His service reminds us that we are serving Him. Because it's only by His mercy and His mercy alone that we are able to serve Him. And that leads us to the second way that we are all about Christ. We remember the mercy we received. We can be all about Christ when we remember the mercy that we received. If you look at verse 13 here, it says, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And you go to verse 14, it says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. Within these couple of verses, there are two reasons why we must remember the mercy we received. The first reason is, despite our sin, Christ still had mercy on us. If you look backwards and back into verse 13, despite Paul being a blasphemer, despite Paul being a persecutor, despite Paul being an insolent opponent, he was still given mercy. Christ had mercy on him. And ultimately, the mercy that Paul received as a result of him being judged 
faithful. Paul remembered who he used to be. And he was incredibly grateful and thankful for the mercy that he received to be who he was now. We too must remember who we used to be. We all used to be sinners like Paul. But despite our sin, we were still given mercy. And we should live in remembrance of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, it says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither be sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Verse 10, Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Guys, this was us. We were all unrighteous before Christ. We were all not inheriting the kingdom of God. And it was due to sin that we weren't doing that. Because we were sinners. But church, we were washed. We were justified. And every day now, we are continually being sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. It is by His mercy that we were taken from death to life. And we must remember that. Because when we forget it, when we don't remember it, we will lose sight of Christ. And He is no longer our all. He's no longer our focus. But if we continually remember the mercy that we were given every day, we will be all about Christ. The second reason that we have to, 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 to remember the mercy that we've been given here, that we've received, is despite our ignorance and unbelief, Christ still had mercy on us. We were still given mercy. If you look in verse 13, um, it says, Paul said he had acted in ignorance of unbelief. You may recall that Paul was also a Pharisee before he was converted. A son of Pharisees, as Acts 23, chapter, chapter 23, verse 6 states it. Paul knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. He knew all the laws. He knew all the prophecies. But you know what he didn't know? You know who he didn't know? He didn't know Jesus. He was ignorant of who Jesus was. In his unbelief, he was ignorant of Jesus. He didn't have a clue of who Jesus was. He didn't have a clue that Jesus was the Messiah. Unbelief leads to ignorance of God's Word and who Jesus really is. And as Paul was on the road to Damascus, Jesus would reveal Himself to Paul. And Paul would hear Jesus' voice and know that the truth and know who Jesus really is. We too are just like Paul. In our unbelief, in our ignorance, we did not know Jesus. We didn't have a clue of who Jesus was. Maybe you knew a lot about the Bible. 
Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you know so much about the New Testament, the Old Testament. Sometimes we can lose focus and in our ignorance not know that Jesus is the point. Because all the Old Testament points forward to Jesus and all the New Testament points backwards to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We were ignorant of our need for a Savior until Jesus revealed Himself to us and we believed in Him. In His goodness, He extended mercy to us and saved us. And as verse 14 puts it, His grace overflowed for us with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Church, we must remember that this mercy that we have received because of His grace is because of the grace that has been overflowed with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We must remember that it is only through Christ and His works that grace and mercy can be given to us. It is only by faith and love of Christ that we can even have faith and love. Church, we must remember the mercy and the grace that has been given to us because of what Christ has done and what Christ did on the cross. And then when we remember that, we will be a people that is all about Christ. A church that is all about Christ. And we remember that. We remember the mercy that we're given. We will remember why Christ came. Why Christ came. That leads us to our third way for us to be all about Christ. And the third way we can be all about Christ is we know that Christ came to save sinners. We know that Christ came to save sinners. We've seen that for us to be all about Christ, we need to give thanks to Christ and that we must remember the mercy that we received. But now we must know that Christ came to save sinners. And from this, there are two things that point to us knowing that Christ came to save sinners. And the first thing that we must know and live by is this. Um, It says, and let's read this first. In verse 15 and 16 it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Verse 15 is a verse that we must live by. We must believe it and we must live it out. So often I think we tend to forget or have a tendency to see how wicked and evil the world is around us and think that no one would believe. Or maybe you begin to wonder if people are even being saved anymore because of all the bad things that are happening around us. Or even after going a long time without seeing a salvation in a church, we can tend to start thinking that maybe people just aren't getting saved anymore. Here at Neely's Bend, from the information that I've been able to gather, in the last 10 years, there's been nine baptisms at this church. In the last 10 years, nine baptisms with the last one being in April of 2022. And because of that low number, I would wager that 
to say that some of you could be in doubt of whether the Lord is still saving people. I want to encourage you to rid yourself of those thoughts. Rid yourself of those thoughts. Remove those thoughts from your head. Remove that thinking because you are not thinking like Christ. The type of thinking that that type of thinking leads us to not sharing the gospel with people. That type of thinking means that you have already condemned people and it is only God that can condemn people. Church, Christ came to save sinners. Christ came to this world to save sinners and we must believe that. We must believe that. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the Son of Man. And He has come to seek and save the lost. And He uses us. He uses me. He uses you. He uses His people to take His Gospel to those around us. So they can hear the Gospel, believe in the Gospel, and be saved. And when we believe this, when we hold to this as a church, as a people, we will slowly become a church that is all about Christ and we'll be focused on Christ in everything we do. We will become a church that prays for the lost people to see Jesus for who He is and believe in Him. We will become a church that prays for ourselves to be bold in sharing the Gospel with those around us. We will become a church that is full of disciples making disciples. Christ came to save sinners. Believe it. Hold to it. And know that God is still saving people. The second thing for us to know about Christ coming to save sinners is that He is patient. He is patient. Paul states that He is the foremost of sinners. That He received mercy because Jesus Christ was able to display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. The point that is being made here is this. It doesn't matter how great one's sin is. It doesn't matter the number of sins that one has made. It doesn't matter how bad someone is. It doesn't matter if someone has persecuted Christians. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one is beyond the reach of Christ's grace. And with that said, if you are here today and you are this person, you are the one who is thinking that, nah, my sin is too big. My sin is too great for this Jesus to just forgive me. I've done this so many bad things in my life. I've committed so many sins. Why would Jesus ever forgive me? Why would Jesus ever save me? Why would Jesus want to save me? If you are here and you're asking those questions, thinking that your sin is too great, that, you're, that you have too many sins, let me tell you it's not. Jesus' mercy is more. There is no sin that is too great for God's salvation. No number of sin that is too great for God's salvation. For God to bestow mercy on you. If Paul, a man who murdered Christians, persecuted Christians, could have his life changed by Christ, so too can your life be changed by Christ. And all you have to do is believe in Christ. Believe in the finished works of Christ. Believe that He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life so that He could be the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Believe that He 
died on that cross. Believe that He rose again three days later. Believe that He died for your sins and give you forgiveness and salvation. Believe these things that the Bible teaches. Make Christ your Lord and Savior. Place your faith and trust in Him alone and you will be saved. If you feel the Lord calling you, drawing you to Himself, give your life to Him. If that is you, please come find me after the service some point. Let's talk about this journey, this journey that we're on together. Because once we give our lives to Christ, our whole life then changes to a lifestyle of honoring and glorifying God in everything we do. Which leads us to our final way we can be a church that's all about Christ. There we go. And that is, we give God all the honor and all the glory. All the honor and all the glory. In verse 17, Paul concludes his testimony and he says this, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's only one thing that I want to bring to the forefront from this verse. That is this. Everything we do in our lives should be done with an understanding of who God is. Should be done with an understanding of who God is. Everything in our lives in reverence of who He is because He is the King of the ages. He is the Creator. The one who created creation. He is the one that never changes. God is the one who is eternal which is why He is the King of the ages. God is also an immortal God. And we must believe this. We must hold to this. Because if we don't, then what is the point? God never dies. He never goes away. God will always and forever be. Because as I've already stated, He is an eternal God. And that is also why He is an immortal. But God is also invisible. And many of us struggle with this because it's hard to believe in something that isn't visible. But that is just what makes God so great. He is invisible. And lastly, our God, the Christian God, is the only God. He's the only God. There is no other God. He is the only God. And if He wasn't the only God, that would imply that there's more gods out there and our God wouldn't be the greatest. But God is the only God because He is the greatest. And He is the only and when we recognize God as these things and understand Him as a God that is King of the ages, immortal, invisible, only God, everything we do will be to honor and glorify Him forever and ever. And as a church, everything we do here should be all about Christ. Because when it is all about Christ, we will bring honor and glory to God. We will worship Him with honor and glory. To put it a different way, we exist as a church to glorify God. In our sermon today, we have seen four ways that we can be all about Christ. The first way is that we give thanks to Christ. We give thanks because He has, he has strengthened us. He has judged us faithful. He has appointed us to His service. 
The second way is that we remember the mercy we have received. Even though we were sinful people, even though we were ignorant in our unbelief, we still received mercy. We were giving grace and mercy. The third way is that we know that Christ came to save sinners. The sole reason for Him coming was to save sinners. And it doesn't matter how great or how many sins one person has, Christ still came to save them. And lastly, we give God all the honor and glory He deserves. Everything we do should be for His honor and for His glory. As a people of God, we must be all about Christ. The whole Bible is all about Christ as I stated earlier. The Old Testament points to Christ. The New Testament points to Christ. It's all about Christ. When we get to heaven and we're worshiping in heaven, who are we worshiping? Worshiping Christ. It's still all about Him when we get there. As a church, we must always be a Christ-centered church. Everything we do here should be about Christ and how we can make Him known to the community around us and in the world. And as we continue moving forward, moving toward being all about Christ, we will continue moving toward becoming a biblically healthy church. And as always, we must ask this question. How do we live this out? How do we live this out? And the first way that we can live this out is, as a church, as a people, we should be an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As a Christian, you are an ambassador for Christ. No matter your age, no matter whatever else is going on in your life, you are still an ambassador for Christ. Representing Christ everywhere you go, to everyone around you. Be an ambassador to those you work with, your family, your neighbors, anyone you happen to be around. The second way that we can live this out is by giving all the honor and glory to God in everything you do. Let everything you do in your life bring honor and glory to God. In Revelation chapter 4, as John is looking into heaven, watching a scene take place, he sees 24 elders take their crowns off and cast them before the throne. And in verse 11, it says this. These elders, they're saying this. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. When we get to heaven, we are going to give honor and glory to Christ. Why not start now? Why not start now? Why not start now? Let's be a church. Let's be a people that's all about Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You this morning for sending us Jesus. For sending us Jesus, Lord. To come down here to die on a cross for us, Lord. You came to see, you sent Jesus to come and save sinners, Lord. Help us to always know that. To always remember that. Lord, I pray that you help us to be thankful for you in our lives, Lord. 
Help us be thankful for the strength that you've given us, for saving us, for appointing us to your service. Help us remember your mercy, Lord. Every day, Lord, your mercy is more. Help us to remember that. Lord, help us to know that you came and you sent Jesus to save sinners. And lastly, Lord, help us as a church and as a people to bring honor and glory to you and everything we do here, Lord. Because when we do these four things, we will become a church that's all about you. Help us as a church to always be about you, Lord. We love you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.